Fund meteorologist Tom Russell. Currently 102 at WHP 580. The following program is intended to provide general information only, and its host, Tim Decker, recommends that you always seek competent professional guidance for financial, legal, and tax advice, as everyone's specific needs are unique. WHP Talk Radio 580 now presents Financial Freedom with Tim Decker from ISI Financial Group. A full hour of sleep well at night financial guidance from an experienced financial advisor. Talking about freedom. I'm talking about freedom. I will fight for the right to live in freedom. This is your Financial Show Central PA, Financial Freedom on WHP Talk Radio 580. And good morning, one and all, wherever uh, you are located at. Welcome to another hour of Financial Freedom. My name is Tim Decker, and I am here each and every Saturday to help educate you, help provide you with information to hopefully encourage you to make wise, prudent financial decisions and at the same time trying to help you avoid falling into many of the traps that are out there in the financial world or as I like to refer to them as financial landmines. And uh, believe me, so much of successful investing is not just doing the right things, but especially when you've gotten to the point where you are nearing retirement or are in retirement, so much of it is making sure that you don't make any major mistakes, that you don't get uh, uh, seduced into different paths that financially can cause a major whiplash and cause a uh, major storm, or as we have seen here in the last week, a tornado whipping through your financial house. I'd love to hear from you. If you have something that you'd like to discuss with me, you want to bounce anything off of me, I'll do my very best to give you straightforward guidance and advice. I'm a 100% fee-only financial advisor, which means I and my firm sell nothing. That's right, we sell nothing. We are paid by our clients for advice and service only. You can reach me here uh, over, over this next hour by dialing 717-540-0580. That's 717-540-0580 or anywhere else, toll-free. You can always call 800-724-5801. That's 800-724-5801. I have a little formula I want to share with you that uh, I would encourage you actually to write this down if you are not driving down the road in your car, obviously. Um, and the formula goes like this. Knowledge equals confidence equals discipline. One more time. Knowledge equals confidence, equals discipline. What is that all about? Well, within the world of finance, and specifically in the world of investing, 
I believe that formula is invaluable for you to think about and ultimately harness. It starts with having some basic knowledge as it relates to investing. Doesn't mean you have to know what R squared is or standard deviation or what options are, what puts are, calls. It doesn't mean you need to know any of that stuff. What I'm talking about is more than anything else financial history but if you will take the time to become knowledgeable to a certain point as you become more knowledgeable as it relates to the world of investing that ultimately will lead to you having some confidence now I've warned you on this very program Having confidence can be a good thing, but you do not want to be overconfident. Remember, one of the most important attributes if you're going to be a successful investor starts with humility. Humility in the sense that you do not ever believe that you are going to be able to outsmart the markets. Because remember, the markets are very simply the markets are millions of investors coming together every day trading with each other on agreed-upon fair prices. But if you start with some knowledge and you get some knowledge and make sure it's from the right sources, make sure that that knowledge is, uh, is grounded in financial science and evidence you'll learn that as you have that knowledge, you're going to start feeling more confident. And as you become more confident, if you end up investing the way you should, which, as you know, I strongly recommend for the vast majority of you that that consists of a beautiful, globally diversified portfolio, that knowledge is going to lead to confidence. And it's that sense of confidence that is so extremely, extremely important if you're going to then be able to go on to the last part of the equation, which is discipline. Discipline to stick to your financial plan. Discipline to stick with whatever portfolio that you have built, always in line with your own personal goals and your objectives and your own personal financial plan. But the only way that you're ultimately going to have the discipline to be able to stick with your portfolio, your allocations, and t take it one step further, the only way you're going to be able to not only stick with it, but ultimately dynamically rebalance when it is the most challenging times is going to be subject to whether you start with having some of the basic knowledge which then can lead to some confidence that you're confident that what you own and how you're invested again is grounded in objective financial science and academic evidence 
And then that can lead to the discipline, which is ultimately what you are going to have to have if you want to be a successful investor. If you are not a disciplined individual and you're not going to be able to follow through when the tough times come, when the storms in the markets come, you may as well not even invest at all. You may as well just put your money in some government treasuries or banks CDs because you're going to be better off doing that accepting a much, much, much lower return over time, but you're not going to shoot yourself in the foot. David Booth, the founder of Dimensional Fund Advisors, said it very, very well when he said, the optimal portfolio for you, the optimal portfolio for me, very simply is the one that you're going to be able to stick with through thick and thin. Because what might make sense on paper, what might make sense subject to your financial plan, hopefully you've developed one, but what can make sense objectively doesn't mean anything and is of no practical use if you're not going to be able to stick with it. And so that's why I go back to that formula that I shared with you moments ago. Knowledge equals some confidence. And if you have the confidence because you know you're invested in a way that is supported, again, by financial science, there's no speculating, there's nobody trying to gamble by trying to pick individual stocks, which is a loser's game. And by the way, that's not Tim's opinion. The research shows it regularly. Standard & Poor's comes out with data every six months that essentially shows that all the professional managers out there that manage all these mutual funds and active ETFs, 85 to 90% of them don't even match the indexes. So again, that's, that's not Tim's opinion. That's what the data regularly shows. But if you start with some basic knowledge, that leads to some confidence, and then that confidence can be just enough of what you'll need when the storms come, when the markets drop, to give you the discipline because you know that the way you're invested is the way that you should be, and it's grounded in evidence, you're, you're going to be able to get through it, and better yet, you'll be able to capitalize on it through dynamic rebalancing. All right, we're going to take our first break. We come back. Uh, I'm going to share with you a couple books that I think would be very, very valuable to help you garnish some, some, some historical financial evidence that can help build you your confidence that ultimately, hopefully, can help you get the discipline you need when it's needed most. 
I'm Tim Decker. This is 580. Providing you with the information and answers to gain your financial independence. This is my fight song. Take back my life song. Prove I'm right Financial freedom. This is Financial Freedom on WHP 580. Once again, here's Tim Decker. Welcome back. Thanks for joining, whether you're listening live or listening somewhere else via the podcast. Thank you, and uh, it's an honor to have you join me as we uh, talk about any and all things financial. Again, if you'd like to bounce anything off of me, Get my opinion as it pertains to IRAs, Roth IRAs, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, ETFs, insurance, annuities, municipal bonds, bond mutual funds. Again, if it's important to you, I promise I'll make it important to me. You can reach me, 717-540-0580. That's 717-540-0580 or, of course, toll-free anywhere else. It's 800-724-5801. That's 800 800- Seven two four fifty eight zero one. At the opening uh, of the show here, I was sharing with you the importance of a simple formula, but yet very substantive formula, if you're going to be a successful investor. And again, that is knowledge equals confidence equals discipline. And there are a couple books strongly recommend that really help you learn about financial history in a uh, in, in a non-technical way. One of the books is called Devil Take the Hindmost. Devil Take the Hindmost. H-I-N-D-M-O-S-T. Devil Take the Hindmost. A History of Financial Speculation. Author is Edward Chancellor. And just to give you some of the thoughts about those who have reviewed this book, the best, most insightful study of speculation and bubbles I have ever read. It should be required reading for every investor. That was Barton Biggs. well-known investment uh, manager. Wall Street Journal says, enjoyable. Mr. Chancellor tells the tale well. Furthermore, he has a larger purpose that separates his book from the well-known classics. And basically, this is a book that goes back all the way into the 60s, starting with the tulip mania bowl, And from there it goes forward and it looks at all of the speculative bubbles and major events that have taken place uh, all the way up through the Great Depression. And uh, it it really, really is insightful and there's a lot to glean from that. So I, this, if you were to ask me, one of the must-read books 
and I read a lot. I probably read, geez, I'll bet I read three, sometimes four hours a day, uh, often very early in the mornings. Uh, I typically wake up very, very early and do a lot of reading. Uh, but if you were to ask me out of my library, and I've got hundreds of books, what, what would be one of the books that I definitely would say are on the top of the list? Devil Take the Hindmost is invaluable. And that can really help with that formula that I was sharing with you. This can provide you with some well-rounded knowledge of markets and financial history, which can then increase your understanding equals, obviously, um, uh, confidence. And then ultimately, that can ideally turn into discipline as an investor. So again, title of that book is Devil Take the Hindmost. The author is Edward Chancellor. That's C-H-A-N-C-E-L-L-O-R. Another book along the same line is called Manias, Panics, and Crashes. Manias, Panics, and Crashes. And I've recommended this book before here on the show. This is written by Carl, I'm sorry, Charles Kindleberger. Charles P. Kindleberger. And Paul Samuelson, who's a Nobel laureate um, out of MIT, Massachusetts Institute of T Technology, says about this book, he says, Sometime in the next five years, you may kick yourself for not reading and rereading Kindleberger's Manias, Panics, and Crashes. Excellent, excellent book. And the third book that I would strongly recommend, which is not uh, uh, just financial history as these books are, but this really gets into the discipline part of the equation. Knowledge equals confidence equals discipline. This book is entitled, Why Smart People Make Big Money Mistakes. Why Smart People Make Big Money Mistakes. And this is uh, written by Gary Belsky and Thomas Gilovich. Gary Belsky, that's B-E-L-S-K-Y, and Thomas Gilovich, G-I-L-O-V-I-C-H. And again, the title of the book is Why Smart People Make Big Money Mistakes. An excellent, excellent read. And that that book gets into behavioralism and finance. It talks about the different biases that you've heard me discuss numerous times here uh, on the show. It gets into recency bias. It gets into uh, one of the things that we're going to actually talk about this morning, which is familiarity bias, which familiarity bias is mistaking, mistaking familiarity with safety. Because you're familiar with something, you'll automatically have a bias to assume that it's a safer investment. Example would be, around here, a lot of people invest in PPNL. Why? Because we all know PPNL is, you know, 
power company in our area. But if you go down to Florida and you look at what people invest in a lot there, it would be their local utility companies because they're familiar with the name there. Around here, a lot of people will invest in Hershey. Why? Because Hershey's right here. So it makes us feel like it's a safer investment. Well, just because you're familiar with it has nothing to do with whether or not it's a safer or a better investment than something that you may not be as familiar with. So again, that book is Why Smart People Make Big Money Mistakes, a very practical, easy read, but man, it's it's got some excellent, excellent uh, lessons in it. I want to follow up to the topic last week that spent a uh, fair amount of time on, and that has to do with international investing. I have just a little bit or, or a few more thoughts on that. If you recall, I uh, shared with you why it's extremely important when you're building a portfolio that it be globally diversified and not just focused solely on U.S. companies. And I shared with you some actual data showing several decades where international markets outperformed U.S. markets. One of the most recent, obviously, was the last decade from 2000 through 2009. Had you invested solely, say, in the U.S. Standard & Poor 500 Index, you would have had 10 years of negative returns. 10 years. So the moral of the story is, we don't know in advance whether U U.S. market next week is going to outperform international market. We don't know if next year uh, uh, emerging markets may outperform established uh, international markets or U.S. markets. So, again, because we don't know, what do we do? We diversify. We own some of this, we own some of that, and ultimately you end up with what you hear me talking about all the time, a beautiful globally diversified portfolio where you indirectly are part owner of 10 to 12,000 companies all over the world. Some U.S., some international, some large companies, some small companies, some value type of companies, some growth type of companies, a little bit in some real estate, and then obviously... You're going to want to own, most of you will want to own some beautiful, very, very safe government treasuries, ideally through an extremely low-cost government treasury mutual fund. But again, your portfolio needs to be unique and subject to your own goals, your own financial plan, etc. When we come back from the news here, I'm going to share with you three more specific time events as to when the U.S. stock market literally underperformed treasuries, which is basically, when I say treasuries, I'm talking about treasury bills. So think of it as cash. I'm going to sh share with you three different 13 and longer time periods where the U.S. markets actually underperformed riskless 
U.S. Treasury bills, which, as I said, is cash. Let's go to the news. We come back. We'll pick right back up. Lincoln Studios. The following program is intended to provide general information only, and its host, Tim Decker, recommends that you always seek competent professional guidance for financial, legal, and tax advice, as everyone's specific needs are unique. Sleep well at night financial guidance from an experienced financial advisor. This is your financial show, Central PA. Financial freedom on WHP 580. Once again, here's Tim. I got everything I need. All right, welcome back. Have anything you'd like to discuss with me? You, know, you can reach me here, 717-540-0580. That's 717-540-0580 or toll-free anywhere else. It's 800-724-5801. That's 800-724-5801. And uh, you can also shoot me an email live here by emailing ffradio at comcast.net. That's ffradio at comcast.net. And uh, also, if during the week there's something that comes up that you want to ask me, uh, you can email ffradio at comcast.net. And if it's uh, something that I can answer on the air, uh, believe me, stay tuned, and I will. So I don't want you to have something that pops into your mind during the week and then you forget what it was that you wanted to ask me. So uh, uh, you can email that uh, ffradio at comcast.net, FF standing for financial freedom, and then stay tuned and uh, there's a good chance I'll get to your question on the show. All right, so... I shared with you, and, and, and really I hope that this has gotten through loud and clear, that it's extremely important that you build a global diversified portfolio, global being defined as U.S. and international as part of your overall uh, investments. When you look at the world's capitalization of all of the publicly traded companies on the U.S., markets and the international markets the u.s makes up about 53 to 54 percent of the world's total capitalization and which means roughly half of the opportunities are outside the u.s but i just want to share some some actual examples with you we we already talked about the lost decade which was from 2000 through 2009 where if all you owned was like the S&P 500 index or total stock market index, which is almost identical, not exactly, but it's very, very similar to the S&P 500 index in that they're both capitalization weighted and thus their top holdings are identical. But during that 10-year time period, U.S. markets went nowhere for 10 years. Well, let's just uh, look at this a little further here. There have been three periods going back where large-cap U.S. stocks, as measured by the S&P 500, underperformed riskless treasury bills 
or cash. One of them was the 13 years that I was just talking about, which was from 2000 all the way through 2012. So during that 13-year time period, if you would have just owned a money market, you would have outperformed the S&P 500 index. That's 13 years that you would have had to sit and be patient and endure negative returns. How many of you would have done that? The moral of that story is don't have everything in U.S. stocks. And better yet, whatever you do have in U.S. stocks, make sure you have them diversified amongst large and small and some growth and some value because they all don't go up and down at the same pace. You want some zigs and some zags. Then there's another time period. This is a 15-year time period. This is from 1929. You all know what that is. That's the onset of the Great Depression. From 1929 all the way through 1943, that's a 15-year time period that Treasury bills outperformed U.S. stocks. And then there's another time period. There's a 17-year period from 1966 through 1982, a 17-year time period that if you would have just owned large U.S. stocks like the S&P 500 index, total stock market index, you would have had to endure these different time periods, this most recent one, 17 years. Again, that was from 1966 through 1982. A lot of people aren't aware of that. A lot of people have this number in their head of 10%. In other words, you've heard it said often that the U.S. market long-term is averaged 10% a year. But that's the average, which means the vast majority of the time it's above it or b below it. It doesn't grow at 10% every year. So that's one reason, subject to what I just shared with you with those three different time periods, one, a 13-year time period, another, a 15-year uh, stretch, and then a 17-year stretch that U.S. equities underperformed riskless treasury bills. So what's, what's the lesson? The lesson is own some U.S. stocks. Absolutely. Again, always subject to your own personal goals and financial plan. But if it's in line with your goals and your plan, own some U.S. stocks. But don't stop there. Own some international. Own some small companies. Own some large companies. Own some value companies. Own some growth companies companies own some short-term and intermediate term government treasuries utilizing a low-cost no-load index fund or an index ETF 
but build that globally diversified portfolio and then make sure that you have the discipline, which is what we started out show talking about. Remember, knowledge can lead to confidence and confidence is the only way that you're going to be able to have discipline to stay invested according to your plan, but also be able to dynamically rebalance. I've asked you this before, but I'm going to ask you again. What did you do personally in March of last year? We recently had somebody in our office um, that we interviewed for potential uh, new wealth management client. And one of the things that they openly shared with us was in March of last year, they got paralyzed and they panicked and they moved some of their investments into cash. Well, there's two things that you should have done. Number one, assuming you had a well-designed financial plan, you should have stuck to your financial plan and thus not have gotten panicked out. But number two, did you rebalance? Did you sell some of your bonds that not only held up, but if they were government bonds last year, went up? Did you trim some of those back and actually take advantage of the opportunity, which typically comes maybe once every four or five years, to buy stocks in your portfolio? What did you do? I know for a fact that most people did not rebalance at the most opportune time. And you know why? Because in your head, you say, oh, I know I will. I know I'm going to rebalance. But then when the time comes, because there's so much fear out there, remember all the fear we all experienced in March of last year, we had this COVID all over the news. We were locked down. You turn on the television and the markets open up, ding, 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 ding. And they start using words like free fall. And you see the market dropping the fastest that it's ever done over a 23-day time period. Roughly a 34% decline in 23 days. It's never happened that fast. Fear was rampant. And because of the way we are wired, because of the way God has made us, we are emotional creatures. And the most opportune time to be rebalancing and to take advantage of when prices are low, which, by, by the way, when prices are low, what does that do to future expected returns? They're higher. And we all know in our mind, well, you're supposed to buy low, sell high. Well, what we know and what we do in the world of investing, unfortunately, most often is not 
what we should. So again, knowledge can lead to confidence, and confidence can lead to discipline. And I am convinced that there's very few individuals out there that are going to be able to, on their own, take the necessary steps to not only stay on the ship when the storm comes, but to take advantage of the rare opportunities. When I say rare, historically we see a bear market since the end of World War II about every four or five years. But if you're not ready, if you're not prepared, and you don't have the confidence and thus the discipline, you'll never, ever take the appropriate action. And that's why I urge you, if you build a relationship with a trusted fee-only, not a fee-based advisor, run away from fee-based advisors. That means they can charge you fees and sell you things. But interview and find somebody that you and your family can really trust who has nothing to sell you, is a 100% fee-only financial advisor. They will earn their nominal fee most often, it's around 1% or less annually. Just through one major event, like what we saw in March of last year, what we saw in 2007, 2008, they will pay for themselves for decades over. Let's take our last break. We come back, we'll pick right back up. You have anything you'd like to share with me? Ask of me? Don't be shy. 717-540-0580. That's 717-540-0580 or 800-724-5801. I'm Tim Decker. And this is 580. If you have a question about your finances or your financial future, give us a call right now at 540-0580 or toll free at 1-800-724-5801. This is Financial Freedom with Tim Decker on WHP 580. Lean on me when you're not strong and I'll be your friend. I'll help you. If you haven't already done so, take advantage of our insights and education uh, informational newsletter. We email out uh, the podcast every single week, typically Monday mornings. Uh, so if you miss this show live, uh, fear not. You've got podcasts that you can listen to at your convenience in the car or in the morning, whatever works for you. And I encourage you to share it, uh, pass it on, email it to friends relatives and uh i know we have literally listeners all over the country and uh, uh that's why i email it so that you can again listen to it at your convenience but uh, also i encourage you to share it with others and then also uh we have articles that i email out from time to time this past week we uh, actually emailed our video blog which is about a three minute video and uh, the t topic of this one actually is was in line with what we were just talking about, which was diversification. So be sure and go to our website. It's isifinancialgroup.com. That's isifinancialgroup.com. And scroll down to the bottom there, and you can sign up for our newsletter. 
All right, let's go to the phones. I believe we have Joan. Good morning, Joan. How are you, young lady? How can I help you? How are you doing, Mr. Decker? Thank I'm doing you. well. Thank you yes. so much. Thanks. Yes, uh, sometimes uh, <laughs> I have what I think is an exotic question or cute or something, but then your opening statement is uh, uh, stimulating, and then I put aside my question. But that's not the case today as, <laughs> as much as your <laughs> opening statement is always something to be uh, paid attention to. And well, this thank is you. Gonna be, that's very kind. <laughs> this is going to be... Um, I'm, I'm embarrassed in a way because I, anybody should know this. Well, that would be also everybody. A long-term gain is something where at least you had the, the stuff a year and a day. Is that right? Yes, ma'am. Yep, yep. Okay. Short-term, short-term capital gains is any capital gains incurred uh, less under, than a year. Under a year. Uh -huh. well, exactly, yep. Okay, so um, isn't everything... Don't people, for tax purposes, hope that they can make a nice move or something uh, that that it's um, that they had it for a year at least? Yes. Um, in fact, with the clients' portfolios that we manage, one of the things that we do, Joan, is we look to avoid short-term capital gains. And with the technology that we have, uh, when we do any rebalancing or if they need to take any money out of their accounts, our technology will look at their different shares and it identifies for us what is long-term capital gains and what is short-term capital gains. And we make every effort to avoid short-term capital gains and hang on to it, obviously, when it makes sense for at least a year. You're absolutely accurate there. Because otherwise you can be killed with the taxes. Yeah, because short-term capital gains is taxed as ordinary income. Versus long-term capital gains, uh, uh, you can, depending on your income, uh, you don't have to pay any long-term capital gains up to a certain amount of income. I think it's like roughly forty to forty-four thousand if you're single, uh, and roughly eighty thousand. So long-term capital gains, if your income is under that, can be zero, and then it goes up to ten percent, and then fifteen percent, and then the highest. Uh, if your income's around five hundred thousand or higher, it's, uh, it jumps up to twenty percent, and then you can uh, have that other three point eight percent tax on top of that. So you start oh, you, getting you that are, bracket. You start getting that bracket headaches, right? You got it right. You got it right. And uh, yeah. now they're looking at uh, you know they're trying to push through some changes with this, and uh, you know there, there, there's a lot of tax planning opportunities opportunities, Joan, that people miss out on that they can take advantage of. And if you if you think about this, the tax brackets that we're in right now are amongst the lowest that we've ever, ever seen. But we know that they're going to revert back, even if the Biden administration does not get anything passed on, on his watch. The current tax laws sunset in 2025, and they're going to revert back in 2026 to where they were in 2000. 17. So these tax rates are going back up. They're set to go back up in 2026, and that's without anything being done. So tax rates in the future, my friend, are going to be higher, and that's why, you know, for many, while, while, while we have this window of time, um, there, there can be some tax planning opportunities, uh, and you definitely 
want to work with your financial advisor and or tax advisor, obviously. So that means well. that the uh, Trump doubling will go away. The, the Trump, Trump d- doubling. Doubling of the uh, standard. Oh, 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 you're talking about the standard deduction. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah um, I, I, you know. It's hard I, to beat I, that with different deductions and stuff, charity oh, yeah. and all that. Nobody can yep. beat it. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, you've got to have a lot of a lot of expenses. You're absolutely right. But uh All right, Joan. Well, thank you so much for the call. I always love right. hearing from you. You're uh you're a nice young lady. So call <laughs> me anytime. Okay. <laughs> Thanks very much. You're <laughs> welcome, Joan. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Um going back just one other example of uh being careful of home country bias. When I say home country bias, what I mean is as an investor, having a bias towards just investing in your own country. By the way, most U.S. investors are significantly underweight international uh, exposure. But you know what? When you go to and and you look at international countries and you look at the investors there, they are guilty of the same thing. Most of what they own is in their own country as well. Let me give you a perfect example or another really good example of why you want to avoid home country bias. Let me take you back to 1989. Do you remember what was going on in the late 80s? Everybody was talking about how great Japan is. Everybody wanted to be like Japan. Their stock market at the end of 1989 went up to approximately 39,000. 39,000 in December. Here we are now in 2021, and their market is at 27,283 as of yesterday. It's been over 30 years. 30 years. And the market there has not gotten back to where it was at its high, 1989. Imagine if you were an investor that lived in Japan and you had most, if not all, of your money in Japanese stocks. So again, I urge all of you, build a beautiful, globally diversified portfolio, dynamically rebalance, and things will